Well, it's so good to see all of you here this morning. If you're a guest with us today, we're delighted that you've joined us. If you're worshiping with us on SOCC.TV, uh, we're grateful that you're here as well. Um, can I just say before we get into the sermon, thank you for your patience with the lighting issue. Um, we, we are working on it. We're trying to get to uh, the very heart of it. Uh, parts are going to be ordered. Uh, it just takes a while, all right? Uh, and it's not like we can go over to Lowe's and get what we need. Uh, it does take a few weeks to get some of these pieces and parts to make it work. So thank you. We're going to get there. It's, it's going to be okay. Uh, some of you will miss the darkness. I, I get that. Uh, you, you can't make eye contact with me. I don't know if you're sleeping or not. So uh, for some of you, you'll be hat sorry when the lights come back. <laughs> We are at the end of this series, uh, BYOG, Bring Your Own God, and uh, we've been dealing with familiar misconceptions. Uh, and I hope you realize this is a play on words, not an encouragement to bring your own God. That's the whole point. People want to create God in their own image, but that's not okay with God. We should understand that. That should make sense to us. Uh, we don't want somebody doing that with us. For instance... If you had never seen me or seen a picture of me, you might want to, well, conjure up an image in your own mind when you hear certain things about me or you learn certain things. Uh, some might even be true. He's a little older now and he doesn't hear so well out of his left ear. But some things might not be true. I heard he's going to grow a mustache. And so this is a picture that comes to your mind of, of, of what that may be. You know, I don't know what you would think of, uh, you know, or I heard he has a pet snake. You can just punch that person right out and be done with it if you hear that, all right? <laughs> I heard his favorite food was olives. <laughs> I'd starve to death, folks. I'm telling you, if all I got were olives. And so without talking to me or trying to verify the hearsay, you create a picture in your own mind of me as a mustache-wearing, olive-eating, snake-loving preacher, and I'm here to tell you I'd be a bit offended by that. I don't like that image. What's more, it's not a true image of me. Now, there's nothing wrong with a mustache, or there's nothing wrong with liking olives, or there's nothing wrong with enjoying snakes. I'm sorry, I can't go there with that one. But that's not me. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? That God doesn't want us doing the same thing with him. And culture tends to do that. We want to create our own God. We want to bring our own image of God to the table because sometimes, well, we like what we want God to be. But you can't do that with God. He is who he is. And God has revealed himself to us through word pictures and scriptures, and more importantly, through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, so it would prevent these kinds of mistakes from happening. But here's, here's something that's encouraging to me. Even those who spent three years with him, uh, even the apostles, struggled to get an image, to, 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 to get it all together. For instance, on the night before the cross, they'd been with him all this time, and Jesus in John chapter 14 lays out this beautiful image of the fact that he's going to go away, but he's going to go to the Father who's got many rooms in his dwelling place, and that someday he's going to come back and take us all there so that we can be with him and be there forever. And after he finishes that beautiful discourse, uh, Th Thomas speaks up. He's a bit confused. And in John 14, Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. Uh, we, we don't have a clue. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, 
you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, you do have a clear picture, a clear image of God. If you know anything about Jesus, he is God in the flesh. So we have no excuse for creating God in our own mind, in our own image. The problem is that oftentimes our culture doesn't take the time to learn or to study what God has revealed about himself. We don't look into the life of Jesus to get a clear glimpse of who God is. Uh, That's why our next series, I think, is going to be so important. Our next series is Live Like Jesus. We want to study into the life of Christ and those divine, eternal principles that set him apart from everybody else. And so hopefully through that series, we'll get another glimpse into the life of Jesus. And as we get a glimpse into the life of Jesus, we'll know who God is. We'll we'll have that clear image. And so here's the last misconception that we're going to deal with in this series, and that is grandfather God. We've looked at several different ones already, but the last one is a grandfather God. Now, being a grandfather myself, this one hits a little bit close to home. So here we go. Does the world view God as a grandfather? And what are the misconceptions or implications of that look? Well, I think a lot of times we do. The world, uh, the church even, thinks of God in the concept of a celestial grandfather. I mean, whenever you see God depicted in a cartoon, what does he look like? I mean, I've never seen it any other way in the cartoons. He always looks old, bent over, white robe, and a long, white, flowing beard. It's no wonder we're confused about who God is. Such images only enhance the idea of God being a grandfather. After all, God has been around for a long time, before the beginning of time. The Old Testament revelation of him as recorded in Daniel chapter 7 reveals God as the ancient of days, who in fact was described as having hair which is white like wool. And so in our minds, that image is to create old. But the white like wool is to talk about his purity, his his sinlessness. But we always gravitate toward the other side of the coin. That just means God is old. Author Josh McDowell wrote, But God is no doddering old man. He doesn't shuffle across heaven's floor in loose-fitting slippers. He doesn't have to put his false teeth in every morning. The Apostle Paul is quick to add and remind us in his letter to Timothy. 1 Timothy 1. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's not a picture of an old man barely able to cross the throne room of heaven. God has often employed earthly pictures to give us a glimpse into his character. In the words of Jesus, through the parables, through the lessons that we've learned, God pictures himself as the father who runs to welcome the prodigal son back home. A father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And a father who continues to discipline his children in love. 
God, in speaking to his Old Testament people, Israel, compares himself to a mother's love for her child. Isaiah 49, 15 says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, God says, I would not forget you. In Hosea, God is described as a mother bear attacking those who would steal her cubs. In Matthew, Jesus compares himself to a mother hen who would gather her chicks under her wings for protection. God gives us pictures from nature and human experience to help us understand him better. But he cannot be reduced to something so finite and so fallible. We've got to let God be God. May I remind you again of the passage that we used to open up this series about God and us? Isaiah chapter 55 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my thoughts are higher than your ways. My ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So, if we're going to picture God as a grandfather God, what does that end up creating in our understanding of him? Here are the dangers because the scriptures are clear. That's not him, but we keep picturing him like that. And what are the images that come to mind? Well, here's the first one. A doting God. If God is a grandfather, God, then he is a doting God. No child ever recognizes his or her parents once they become grandparents. Adult children who have transitioned to being parents themselves witness a transformation in their own parents that defies logic. They have never seen their own parents act this way, ever. Giddy, playful, more patience than Job, Quick to forgive despite the offense. A storehouse of candy and snacks, the likes of which they never saw growing up. Who are these doting people that used to be my parents? And what Kool-Aid did they sip to bring them to this state of mindless euphoria? Grandparents, you see, are people who love to say yes and seldom say no. And I tell my kids, that's my prerogative. Okay? That's my prerogative. The problem is, when we think of God as a grandfather, a doting grandfather, we want to transfer that image to him. And, and, and there are times in Scripture where you can say, oh, that sounds like a grandparent. For instance, Jeremiah 31.3 says, Long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with an unfailing love. I have drawn you to myself. Well, that sounds like a grandparent, doesn't it? My love is unfailing for my grandchildren. But that, that's not what God is trying to describe here. Do not make the leap that God, because he loves us with an everlasting love, is a doting grandparent like Lord who says, yes all the time and is reluctant to say no. Don't think that God, like most grandparents, is this quaint old man who's dispensed with any kind of disciplinary thoughts and instead takes kids to the park or buys them ice cream. And while God's grace is overwhelming and while his mercy has no equal, God will not overlook blatant disobedience. Acts chapter 17 says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. 
For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. He has given proof to all of, the, to all, of this to all men by raising him from the dead. As a grandparent, I love to say yes. And I seldom say no. But there are certain things that I won't tolerate even as a grandparent. Things like disrespect and disobedience. God wants us to learn that there are times we need to say no. That he expects us to say no. That he will not endorse or embrace or put his stamp of approval on. Paul writes to the young preacher Titus in Titus chapter 2. For, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live or to say yes to self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, don't misread verse 11 in that text. Paul does not say, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. It says, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. To understand God's grace is to understand that the Christian faces a certain ethical demand. That we as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, are to say no to ungodliness and worldly desires... And we are to say yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, Paul says. Again, that's important to grasp. In this present age. As a Christian, we don't go to running off to some remote corner of the globe so that we can hide and won't be tainted by the problems of this world. No, we are to live godly lives in this world, self-controlled and upright while holding on to our hope in Christ. So don't expect God to be some doting old deity who will smile and pat us on the head when we are disrespectful to him and disobedient to his commands by saying, well, that's okay, don't, don't, don't worry about it. No, God has high expectations of us, his people. Certainly we are saved by grace, but that very fact that we are saved by grace demands an even higher ethical response. We wear his name, and we dare not bring disgrace to the name. So God is not a grandfather God. He doesn't dote on us. He lays out for us the pattern of life and expects us to do our best. Here's another picture. If God is a grandfather God, he's an out-of-touch God. Now, the word out-of-touch or the idiom out-of-touch uh, is used to refer to someone who is out of touch with reality most often. Like viewing a snarling rabid dog and saying, oh, what a nice puppy. You'd say, no, that, that person's kind of out of touch with reality. That's not a nice dog. God and his word are often placed into this category of being out of touch with the reality of life. Ah, oh, we say, his word is archaic. His commands about the boundaries on sexual expression are unreasonable. His declarations against gossip are stifling. His warnings about dishonesty and duplicity are simply impossible to follow in today's cutthroat business climate. I mean, God is out of touch with reality. Nobody lives like that anymore, so we say. 
We also use the idiom out of touch to describe someone who is not aligned with, aware of, or even receptive to current trends or styles or attitudes. Six-year-old Aaron described God as, he's old. It's been a long time since he was a kid. The implication, he's old-fashioned. He's culturally unconnected. You can't relate to God. But God has never been a kid. So the implication is out of, out of, thought, out of line. And, and you stop and think about how we use out of touch. Oh, he's, he's out of touch with culture. Or, oh, she's out of touch with, with culture. And that culture could be East Coast, West Coast, Midwest, North, South. You, you name it wherever it is. And, and if you said, well, who would top the list of groups being out of touch? And in the minds of a lot of people, the church would top that list. That the church is out of touch with culture. Now, I don't think the church is out of touch with culture. It's the, that the church doesn't always agree with culture. But you see, that's what we do. We play this game. We, we dismiss any issues in our life by saying, well, they're, they're just out of touch with what is going on. And if something is out of touch or if someone is out of touch, eh, we can dismiss whatever they say or whatever they believe, you see. But the church is in good company because I hear it all the time. Uh, there are a lot of people who are said to be out of touch. Here's the list. The national media is out of touch. Congress is out of touch. Hollywood actors are out of touch. The lifestyle of the Amish is out of touch. The rich 1%, the under-resourced. The famous, the invisible to society. Those with a formal education, those without a formal education. Tree huggers, people who abuse our natural resources. Hermits and vagabonds, those who live in gated communities. People who drive gas guzzlers, people who drive electric cars. Professional athletes, couch potatoes. People who insist on cutting edge technology, people who still use flip phones or no cell phone at all. The youth of America, the senior citizens of America, white people, black people, brown people, yellow people, liberals, conservatives. Did I miss anybody? Because you see, what I'm saying is that at some point in time, everybody's out of touch. Here, here's what we mean by out of touch. You don't agree with my circle of belief. You, you don't agree with my circle of influence. So therefore, you are out of touch with me. Becomes a, a, an easy dismissal, doesn't it? Oh, they're just out of touch. No, don't pay any attention to them. Don't listen to them. Well, there might be reason to listen to anybody who has something to say into our lives. It might not be good, but it might be helpful. And, and here's the thing. We're all out of touch with somebody, but none of us are all totally out of touch. And the irony of ironies, the one who best understands every human perspective and every human conflict of interest is the one who created us, God himself. God isn't out of touch. In truth, he's the only one who really is in touch. Nobody understands the human psyche like God himself. His word, his precepts, his wisdom, his example, his encouragement, his grace, and yes, even his commands are all designed to enhance our lives and make our time in this world the best that it can be at every age and every stage. When we follow his guidelines for living, adhering to his, not ours, but to his list of do's and don'ts, we will discover that our lives are fulfilled. Honestly, folks. The person who is most out of touch with reality is the one who has declared his disdain for the things of God and ignored God himself in his daily existence. Here then is what I've witnessed more often 
than not in life. When it comes to the end of life, people's dying concerns aren't about government's failures or Hollywood's most recent release or even what all they're leaving behind. You know what people care most about knowing in those final breaths of life in this world? What does God have to say about the future? What hope does God have for me in these moments? You see, when we're ready to leave this world, the things of this world that mattered so much to us at one point in time don't matter anymore. And the only reality that we're really concerned about is the eternal reality. And if I understand scripture correctly, eternal reality is far more important than mortal reality. So the next time somebody says, well, God is out of touch with reality, you ask them, which reality are you talking about? Because the one reality that God alone holds is that which is eternal. And everything that is mortal will pass away. It won't matter anymore. But when you come to that last breath, the one you want most is the one who understands you best and who is in touch with eternity. He's no grandfather God. He's not out of touch with anything. And the people who are best in touch with life are walking with him. Here's the last image that oftentimes comes from this concept of a grandfather God. If, if God is a grandfather God, then he's probably a senile God. Many believe that God is suffering with dementia, that he's forgetful, that he's insensitive, that he's clueless, which makes him totally irrelevant. And by the way, if God is totally ir irrelevant, then I don't have to do anything he says because that means his words are totally irrelevant. You see, a senile God has no claim on my life. He has no impact on me. The problem with that is that there is nothing in Scripture to remotely suggest that God is close to being senile. He's omniscient. He knows everything. It's because we want to live guilt-free lives. We want to be in charge of our own lives. And so we look for a way that we can dismiss God. And if we can assume that he is senile and irrelevant, that I'm in charge of my life, I don't have to follow God. When Moses stood before the burning bush and had this encounter with God, and when Moses asked God for his name, do you remember what God answered? God said, I am who I am. Those words mean timeless in scope that they are beyond time, that there is no aging with God. I am who I am. Oh, the power of that is unbelievable. I've quoted this before, but it is so powerful. Let me quote it again. It's from Helen Malakote, and she, had, she penned these words as if God was speaking into our lives to assure us that he is not irrelevant. And this is what she writes. My name is I am. When you live in the past with its mistakes and its regrets, it's hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with its problems and fears, it is hard. I am not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it is not hard. I am here. My name is I am. God is the most relevant part of our lives. Hold fast to him. The writer of Hebrews said, the same thing about Jesus Christ in different words. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I'm telling you, 
You can't get more relevant than that. I love the fact that our congregation is multi-generational. And I love the fact that every generation has something to offer to the body of Christ. And that every generation brings something to the table that enhances the generations either before it or the generations after it. And I believe that every generation here is respected and honored for what they bring to the table. And that's the way it should work in God's family, the church, because he is eternally relevant. Every generation is relevant in the body of Christ. I love this passage in Ephesians, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you get it? God says, I'm working through every generation. Every generation matters. Every generation is important. Every generation is relevant, and I am relevant to every generation. Let me make a couple of closing observations about being a grandparent, will you? <clears throat> I believe the love experienced by a grandparent is a gift from God. I believe that the special bond between a grandparent and a grandchild is a gift from God. And there is this unique, beautiful, awesome, incredible relationship that is shared between a grandparent and a grandchild. And you say, why do they get along so well? Well, somebody said it's because they have a common enemy. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> but I am convinced of this. Logically speaking, logically speaking, there is no reason in the world why I should love somebody else's kids the way I do. Just doesn't make sense. Love my own kids, sure. But that next generation shouldn't be quite as much. Next generation after that, who cares? Logically. But there is this awesome, incredible love between a grandparent and a grandchild that I think is a gift from God. That God gives that gift to us as we grow older in this life. But that God gives that gift to the, to the grandchild as well to get them up and going in life. But for all the joy that God gives us in this incredible love of a grandparent role, God will never quite experience it on his own. You ever stop thinking about that? God will never be a grandparent. Again, in one of this just stroke of geniuses, this incredible nature of God, God will never be a grandparent. God is always a parent. God only has children. Every generation is, is his children again. And, and, and you stop and think about that, how, how awesome that God would do that. Because here's the deal. You know, we would be at this point in time, his grandkids. And you would conclude, well, God doesn't love me near as much as he loved Adam and Eve. I mean, those were the first ones. Those were his real kids. And I'm just so far down the list, God wouldn't even notice me. But God says, I, I, I don't have any grandchildren. Well, I have a children. Every individual, every person is a child of God. And he loves us with an everlasting kind of love as if you were the only one in the world to be loved. Only God could pull off something so incredible. He works through us as much today as he worked through the apostles or the prophets. We're as much the children of God as the children of Israel were children of God. 
And here's another thing I've noticed about being a grandparent. You don't have a favorite. You don't love one more than you love the other. The one that you're with right now is as endearing to you as the ones that came before and the ones that came after. This may be the best news ever. Romans 2.11 says, For God does not show favoritism. You can't look at anybody in this room and say, Well, I think God loves him or her more than he loves me. No. God doesn't show favoritism. You are his child. Not your, not your grandfather. He's your father. He's not irrelevant. He's not doting. He's not senile. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the eternal God, the great I am who I am, who loves you with an everlasting kind of love and has purchased our salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the most relevant relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with God the Father. Just make sure you have a correct image of who he is through Jesus Christ our Savior. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.